Vernomatic Productions. Are you ready? Live from the Metal Mayhem Studios in Rochester, New York. We are gold. And heard around the world by metalheads just like you. This is Metal Mayhem ROC. Heavy metal music. Your weekly dose of metal music, interviews, album reviews, news, and more. Want to be part of the show? Send us a message through our website, MetalMayhemROC.com. Or hit us up on Facebook and Twitter. Search Metal Mayhem ROC. A proud member of the Pantheon podcast team. It's getting nice and heavy. Now, welcome our hosts. John the Vernomatic Verno, and direct from New Jersey, Metal Waltz. Good evening, everybody. Hope everyone's doing well. It's late April. Metal May's right around the corner, and I think everyone officially has spring fever. As always, new content drops every Thursday night. Tonight's episode, Metal Walt and I welcome Tony Zimmerman onto the show. Tony's the CEO and creative director of Knucklebones, that company that creates high-end collectibles of rock and roll and heavy metal music legends. Tony's here to talk about how the company came about, uh, his involvement, his vision of everything. It's a real cool interview. So we'll have Metal Walt out in a second, and we'll get right into that. But first, want to invite you to get up to our website, metalmayhemroc.com. Join our community by signing up for our newsletter. You'll get updates on new shows, reminders about our Monday night radio show. There's uh, CD review blogs up there, uh, concert reviews. You can download some past shows. Last week we had Zach Stevens from Sabotage fame. His uh, One of the side bands, Arch on Angel, just released a new album. So we talked with him. A couple weeks before that, we had a Norwegian glam band Wigwam. And at the beginning of the month, we had Nasty Ronnie of Florida Thrasher's Nasty Savage. So again, get up to that website and check out all we have to offer. So Metal Walt, cool, cool interview with Tony from Knucklebones. What'd you think of this one? I found it really fulfilling because, you know, we're typically interviewing artists that produce music. This is... uh uh, an artist producing, let's say, figurines and collectibles honoring these same musicians. But there's so much more to it that goes into how the creative ideas come out, how the discussions with the bands themselves, the artists, the management, where the roadblocks are in terms of limitations with licensing, who the bands will dictate are the members, which there are definitely some head scratchers there. Um, and just like kind of uh, the general feeling that this guy wants to create a new form to keep rock and metal alive long after all of our heroes are in their retirement chairs. He has a new way of doing it. Yeah, I can't say it any better myself. The story of him as a kid sitting side stage because his father was the brass that brought all these shows to the Metro Washington, D.C. area. It's just great interview. If you have an hour to kill, spend it with us and Tony from Knucklebones. For Metal Walt, I'm the Vernomatic. This is Metal Mayhem ROC.
Our guest today is Tony Zimmerman, CEO and Creative Director of Knucklebones. Knucklebones is a high-end collectible of rock and roll, heavy metal, legend, memorabilia. Tony's here today to talk about the company, the production of the products, and we're even going to take a walk down his heavy metal history and find out about his fly-on-the-wall experiences as a kid in the 70s watching some of the greatest rock and roll arena shows. Tony, welcome to Metal Mayhem ROC. What's up, fellas? Nice to see you. Things are good. Things are good. I'd like to introduce you to my uh, co-host. Goes by the name of Metal Walt. What's up, Tony? How are you? Good to meet you finally. Metal Walt, how are you? I'm good. So I will uh, start this off by offering my congratulations. I see your company is uh, celebrating 20 years in the business, correct? 20 years in a row. <laughs> I like to I like to add that. <laughs> Some say twenty years, but you started in nineteen eighty four. Twenty years in a row. So Tony, I have a little icebreaker for you, and I'm gonna share my screen and I want you to close your eyes. All right. All right. And I'm gonna tell you when to open. Can I open my eyes now, Dad? The Tommy Boy moment. <laughs> Brrr, <da-ding. laughs> Go ahead, open your eyes. Oh, some old friends there. So this is in my heavy metal man cave or my home office because I work from home and they're right. right up in the shelf above me over there. What Walt shared with Tony was a vintage potential Hall of Fame entry of a Lemmy, a Ted Nugent from the Cat Scratch Fever era, and it looked like a Ronnie James deal. So that's a that's a nice little spread of uh time there as far as knuckle bones history yeah they're early on i was looking underneath i heard you had to get the dust off the bottom and uh serial numbers handwritten it could be could be your print there so like the old uh, what's that been. guy that used to do the the hair the hair treatment guy he's like i'm not only the owner i'm a client it's kind of like that <laughs> yeah exactly so anyway yeah that's those are those are those are good to see because we have obviously we have the prototypes and we have everything you know over 20 years but all that stuff right there is in the vault i haven't seen those statues in a in a minute yeah it's funny when you go to your website i mean you search your products none of them even come up so they're yeah, like in the, they're like in the hall of fame right that's our bad now we're we're going to uh launch something digitally later this year and a a knuckle bones history of hall of fame will be there so you'll you'll be able to see everything and some liner notes about all the productions that's just we're just so busy doing what we do and moving on to the next project we have a bad habit of you know build and move on we got to do a better job because that been doing a few different podcasts here recently and that's come up in almost every one of them hey i want to find out about the neil pert that you did in 2006 and where is it and it's like yeah it's <laughs> it's in the vault uh and the only picture the only good pictures of it are a lot of times you know what the collectors put up because we our original stuff is down so we need to do a better job with that I have something. I don't think it's your work, but I got a little Dan Marino guy. Are you yeah, that's, um, we've been asked over the years. We're you know we're a we're a collectibles company, but we consider ourselves you know a music you know merchandising company because we've we've only done things associated with music, and we've been pulled in a lot of different directions to do things. 
And you know what? There's there's generally other people doing it and doing a good job with it. You know, metal mm-hmm. metal fans, rock fans in particular, a lot of times are underserved, and that's why we founded the company 20 years ago. We we recognize that those fan bases, as you know, everybody, the three of us know how passionate those fans are, but it's not apparent to everybody if you're not part of it or you didn't grow up with it, right? So, Tony, that was going to be like our lead conversation for you is, you know, we want to talk about your product, the company and all that other stuff. But how like you got an amazing body of work, but like take us through your personal journey. Right. So we know that your dad, he was a a manager of some high end, high profile, you know, arenas, clubs in the D.C. area. I suppose as a kid, you were hanging around with him, maybe helping him out. So, like, how did you get going in like this rock journey? Like, were you like sitting on the tour buses or sitting in the corner room while your dad's working and you're like, (laughs) you know, you got your autograph book. Like what was going on as a kid? The love for the heavier side of things. I'm in third grade and uh, I get asked to uh, go to Catholic school, leaving public school. That's another story. (laughs) But I went from public school to Catholic school. And the Catholic school didn't have any bus service. So I needed a way to, to get there. Both my parents worked. So they uh, they had the neighbor kid who had just graduated high school. Just get, you know, he was my ride. And uh, the 1968 Dodge truck with an eight-track. And the kid, Ronnie White, he listened to Sabbath and the James Gang and Deep Purple. So... That was my soundtrack on the way to Catholic school. So listening to, would you like to see the Pope on the end of a rope? Do you think he's a fool and dropped off? Have a nice day at Holy Spirit <laughs> Elementary. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, Tony, what year was this? This would have been like 70. You know, so the first Sabbath records are, are dropping like 70, 71, right? So that's. No, but you're in third grade. How old are you? How old are you now? I'm 61. Oh, okay. I'm 55, yeah, so, so just to put a time yeah, frame. So. Yeah, so that those records are new, and I'm hearing them on 8-tracks. So I can tell you how how old I am. So the, the affinity for the heavy stuff, that's where kind of where it starts because that's what I listen to to and from school. And, of course, if, if, if that's the kind of music you're going to uh, identify with, you, you feel that in your bones right away. You know, that's a DNA-level connection if that's something you're gonna latch on to for your whole lifetime and and i did but that's where it started and then you mentioned my dad a little bit after that he was the he was a director in the navy band he was actually a military guy and you know had been in the military since he was young but was still a young man and retired out of the military and went into the theater management business so he managed a couple of places in washington D. one was called constitution hall that's still there and that's about a uh, 2000, either side of 2000 seat arena. Um, and then he was there for a couple of years and then he went to the Kennedy Center, which at that time was, you know, brand new, really. It, it wasn't even five years old. So, you know, between those two venues, um, again, parents worked. I just have to go to work a lot. So I'm by default just around backstage in any given time you know i could see fly the family stone one night and 
the Doobie Brothers the next night and, you know, Queen, Kansas, Mahogany, Rush the next night. It was, it wow. was, it was amazing. And, you know, the stagehands were like my uncles. So I'm like, you know, eight, nine, ten years old. On there. Yep. And the deal was, you know what? You can do whatever you want. But, you know, if one of the stagehands or any of that, you know, band manager acts, you know, complain about this little kid getting in the way, you know, you, you're going to have to stay in the office. You can't, can't get out. So I was always uh, minding my P's and Q's to not get, not be the kid that was in the way. Otherwise I didn't get to come back. So were there any, uh, were there any experiences like anything pop, like a great experience, something that you remember an artist, a band that you're like, Oh my God, like this is the story I'll tell to my grave. Yeah. When uh, my dad knows, you know, he can listen to what's coming out of the room. And it's like, holy crap, what does my kid you know, listen to? So he knows that I'm into the heavier side of things, which is going to have a heavier, more intense audience, right? So in theater management, you want to know, you know, what the band is, you know, what's any issues around the band, and what's the audience going to be like? You know, do we need extra security? Is it a sold-out show? These kind of things. Mm -hmm. So Keith figured out I like the heavier stuff, which – would have a certain crowd element <laughs> and what he would do is come and say, Hey, have you ever heard of uh, e Iggy and the Stooges? I'd say, yeah, I love Iggy Pop. Okay. Have you ever heard of Todd Rundgren and Utopia? Utopia. I love Todd Rundgren. Have you ever, so then I would ask, Hey dad, when is uh one of that, you know, that Iggy Pop band you, you mentioned coming? Oh, they decided not to come. So what he was doing is any band I said I like, he would not allow to come to the arena because he could say it's a security risk. The way the, the, way the Kennedy Center works, it's a publicly funded thing, and it's supposed to cult, you know promote cultural diversity. So you can't say, well, I don't like rock music. You know, rock music, that's not appropriate for the Kennedy Center. You can't do that. So he would do it, oh, this is a security risk. So he finally comes and says, hey, have you ever heard of Queen, Kansas, or Frank Marino and Mahogany something? Rush. Yeah, Rush. I'm like, what was the last one? Uh, Frank Marino? Mm, no, nah, I've never heard any of this. <laughs> so this is on the sheer first Queen U.S. tour, the Sheer Heart Attack tour, which is in the film, right, when they come to the U.S., Bohemian Rhapsody film. So it comes Saturday night and I'm like, I don't, you know, I don't have to go into work. And I'm like, hey, dad, I want to go into work with you. It's like, well, how come? And I'm like, the queen and queen shows tonight, right? And he's like, I thought you said you didn't know anything about it. I'm like, oh, yeah, I, I checked him out since then. And it was, yeah, was, they're pretty good. And he's like, oh, shit. So he calls the box office and said, what are sales for tonight? Oh, yeah, this was a, you know, immediate sellout. What's, you know, what's security? Oh, normal. And he's like, okay, call call Park Police. It's a sold-out show. The Kennedy Center has a huge open foyer. It's not like there's a, a gate you go through. Gate mm -hmm. crashing in the 70s was a thing, you know? So, yeah, he uh, he's, he's, not, he's not happy. But when I would go to shows, then I was too little to go out and sit in the crowd, you know, dope-smoking 70s raucous crowd so i would actually sit on the stage 
and I'd sit right behind the stack. Back then, they would still stack speakers. They wouldn't hang. So it'd sit right behind the stack, which is 20 feet high. And I would go out right before the house lights went down. So in this case, Freddie and Brian are stage right, and they're at the big metal stage door. And the stagehand says, excuse me, fellas, and moves them out of the way, walks me out, sets the little chair down behind the stack. And the rule was, sit there, don't move until the stagehand comes and gets you. The house lights are still up, and he's just done this, and the door's closing. I look back, and I can see Freddie and Brian looking like the door's closing, like, what the hell is this kid doing? (laughs) Where's this kid on the stage? (laughs) And then the house lights went down, and Queen Queen came out on the sheer heart attack tour. So, yeah, that was a a pinch-me moment. Let, let me ask you, at an early age, you had to catch the rock and roll fever bug of when the lights go down and the crowd roars. To this day, I say that moment when you can see the stagehands have cleared and it starts to buzz and you're like, shit, the house lights are getting ready to yeah. go down. And that that moment and that energy, it, there's not a, I'm getting, I'm getting the hairs on my arms are sticking up like uh, me too tony that, that that's the buzz and you can always tell and you remember you see like you said the stagehands are wrestling around and then they start tightening things up and then you see the light guys get in position it's like here we go and yeah yeah and you just look back if you want to know look back at the the board at the back of the house yep. when the guys at the board turn on their lights to light the board you know, shit's re- getting ready to hit the fan. It's usually like a little flashlight. Yeah, uh-huh. flashlight. yeah. yeah they're, I, they're like, they got to make sure, okay, got to get oriented on the board. It's going to get dark. How big were these venues? What were the caps on the rooms? Kennedy Center, the concert hall is the biggest of the three halls in Kennedy Center. I think it's 2,500 people. So they're, they're theaters, you know, they're, they're theater slash concert hall. So between two and 3,000 seats, I think. All reserve seating at that point, um, unless you were at a club, there was, you know, at those venues, there was, you weren't supposed to move around. And they had the guys in the big yellow jackets to make sure that (laughs) if you were trying to have fun that they were going to mess it up. What about uh, when you were involved with the Capitol Center? Wasn't that a hockey rink? Now, the Capitol Center, so he he didn't manage the Capitol Center, but all of the, the theater managers were all friends and knew each other, and they would they would comp each other. So the Capitol Center, the director of the Washington Capitals, would call my dad, and he'd get seats for himself and the players. My dad would comp him, and then if I ever wanted to go to the Capitol Center, that was comped. So not to, don't hate me. So I not only got to go and get an amazing seat and do all that stuff, it didn't cost anything. Well, by the time the Capitol Center era came, were you still sitting on the side of the stage in a chair? Or what? No, no. I, I, I could, I could uh, you know, Capitol Center comes, I'm like 13 or 14. Yeah, yeah. So I, I could go with a, I could go with a cousin or, you know, that was, that was okay. But yeah, that's a, that's a, for a, a sold out uh, arena show, that's eighteen to twenty thousand. Yeah, that's a big, that's a big play. So that's obviously much different gear. And the, 
the bands, you know, some of the bands that, you know, played Constitution Hall and Kennedy Center originally, you know, go and headline, you know, Frank Marino, you know, later headlines. There are people, people forget, you know, Frank Marino, Mahogany Rush, you know, they closed Cal Jam too. They were huge, huge, huge. Canadian. In the, in the late 70s. Canadian. Can the Canadian guitar god. Still one of my still one of my favorites. We we contacted Frank and he's gotten back to us. And uh it's he's disrespectfully declined. Uh, he just he's a super private guy and just he's a little shy about the whole thing. Never done much merchandising. And uh was very nice. It just it works amazing. And it's not for me. So, so someday, someday we'll make that one happen. Tony, that was going to be one of my questions later on, but since you're there, like the the creative process, like how do you do your market research? You know, you go out there. I mean, you got to like the bands, but there's got to be trends. Like I noticed, you know, you have a lot of, let's say, uh, paraphernalia on Ghost, who's a hot topic. Mm -hmm. I see you have uh, Death out there, who's maybe a little bit of a lower profile band. But how do you do your market research? Yeah, see, yeah, you can see Scream Bloody Gore and Chuck right off my side here over this way. Yeah. They're right there. Yeah. Um it it's some of that you just you have a hunch. You you know, you can look at a social media profile and you know, is there something recently in the news? You know, like, you know, Dowd Garden just announced a They've sorted things out with the Cornell estate. There's going to be new music there, you know, Saw that. Or, um, something like that might drive it. Um, but yeah, you know, activity on social media, audience, um, listenership on Spotify, just things that you can look at and empirically say, okay, you know, the audience is here. And then you look and say, what's been done in a lot of cases, you know, something hasn't been done and that's, that's our MO right there. We look for the things that are underserved. I mean, we've worked with the Beatles and Jimi Hendrix and Lennons and all that stuff. But, you know, we're the only company that's going to take a shot on Candlemas. Candlemas. <laughs> I love it. Epicus, Dumicus. <laughs> yep. So we yeah, that's, that's we look for pick that. Up on that one. And we're a business. We have to make money. And we say we can make more money. We can't make more time. But we, we're always looking for that underserved, underserved hard rock metal audience uh, that hasn't had something made for them. And, you know, we typically do really well with that. Do you have a go back? Go, go ahead, Lance. No, I was going to say, uh, you know, do, like who are your like, who would you consider your competition? Like, who's the who's the threat in your market? I don't know. Nobody's smart enough or dumb enough so far to, to really focus <laughs> on music. Because there are other companies sure, that do great. do what you do, but a lot of them are, you know, they're plastic. Like, you know, I'm not saying they're bad products, but they're, you know, the they're detail different. on your stuff is, you know, top class, top class. Yeah, there's high end, you know, we do, what we do is a collectible statue, statuary. So it's a fine arts production piece. It's, you know, handmade molds. Parts are cast by hand, pulled out by hand, cleaned. Nothing mass produced, and we're never going to make three thousand of anything. And you know, we don't rely on the WalMarts and the Targets and places like that. We're really a direct-to-consumer company. 
Um, I mean, in statuary, the most the company that would be most like us would probably be Sideshow, and they've done some music things, but they're they're really focused on the the TV film, comic, fanboy stuff, and you know that's that's something that we've been asked to do, and just we're just going to stay focused on music for now. Never say never. But yeah. yeah, as far as somebody focused on music specifically and merchandising, I think we're the only ones really. Tony, I hate to go back to my little Dan Marino guy, but the uh, who would who would do this? Because the attention to I mean, is that is that a McFarland piece? Is it? Uh... I think. I mean, McFarland. You know, he they did some things in music early on, and then they had MLB, uh, NHL. Uh, NBA licenses and and for my mind they're the ones that you know did a really good job with it and were in it for a period of of time. I don't think they're doing it anymore. Um, the attention to detail on this is outstanding. Like, mm-hmm. um, you know, um, yeah, they're they're they were really good at at, uh, at doing doing that. I collected some of it. The sports license, everything we do is officially licensed. You know, we've never done anything that's not, you know, working directly with the band or management that we won't. Yeah. Um, they did the same thing. When you get into sports, licensing and, you know, doing things officially, it can always, you know, be a challenge. In sports, it's particularly a challenge because in baseball in particular, you've got, if to do, if, if you want to do uh, Derek Jeter, you know, you, you'd need a license with Derek Jeter you need a license with major league baseball and then you need a license with the players Association. There's three levels of approval, additional cost. So that I got asked that on another, another interview and it, the, the why of it, it, it's, it's, it, from what we know, it just might not be, you know, a little cost prohibitive. It's so expensive and a pain in the ass to do it officially that, uh, not a lot of it being done right now. I mean, there are band licenses that we've passed on because we think, you know, to get the official approval and do everything we need to do to have it be official might be more than we can can make happen. So there are a few licenses we've we've passed on just because we think the to do it officially might might be problematic. Can you share any of those? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no. And the thing is, sometimes, you know, it, and it will be at a particular moment in time, it's problematic. And then later on, it's not. You know, if we wanted to do something with Motley Crue today and do the original lineup, <laughs> there might be some issues. <laughs> right. So, but we, we worked with the crew, you know, five years ago and it was fine. Well, well, didn't uh, Mick just get cut out? Can he t- speak for himself now? You, you just you, you know what you, you can read the same stuff i can i, I only know what's in the, yeah, in the press about it what, what a shame i'm joking bud i know yeah. well hey tony um just like when you are engaging in conversations with let's say management of a band like take us through the like the discussions with the artists like do you actually engage with the artist or do you get feedback from them or do you pass ideas with these guys, I mean, you know, pick a band, Sabbath, Guns N' Roses, Motorhead. Like, 
What was some of your experiences actually collaborating with the artists themselves? Well, Sabbath, um, Sabbath was, you know, now that, you know, the, the, the last two or the final days have gone, there's no, there's really, you know, four separate, you know, management groups. There's the, the Osbournes, of course, and then Tony's people in the UK and then, geezer and bill so it's it's four separate groups but we you know we would do a black sabbath license with one of the big merchandising companies and i think uh sabbath is via bravado which is universal um so that's where the agreement comes from but then when the when the work's happening all of those camps need to be consulted. And we, you know, in the Savas case, we, we just said, we're going to do, we want to do 1975, which is right back there. The sabotage era for me, they're at their peak there. So I just, I just picked that. Cause I just think that's when they're the most powerful. Mm-hmm. That record was one of their best. And everybody, everybody had a great stage costume and looked amazing so we hit him up and say we want to do sabotage here's what you were wearing and if the band's good with it um there's you know of course photos what we really look for is uh i like to find video when it exists yeah there we go um the video doesn't have to be the most amazing quality but when we're looking for a pose you know, or how we're going to pose or do a design. We don't do posed things like they're posing for a photograph. We want it to look like they were on stage in 1975. So if you did a silhouette of these guys, it could look like Baltimore Civic Center in in 75 when they came through there and I saw them. Um, the reason we do video is you can get fooled with a photograph. It could be an amazing photo and uh a performer's doing something, you know, that's cool, but it could just be an oddball moment. It's not something that if you were to see him that you would see them do a lot. I'm looking for a, you know, signature things that they do. So if I gave you a silhouette of any particular performer, you would know who it was. An Angus Duck Walk, an Eddie Flying V. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, So we're, Video helps us do that. Photographs, we can get fooled. Now, we still use photographs, obviously. We need pictures from all different angles to be able to sculpt a, a portrait. You know, those are the basics. But, yeah, video, when it exists, we, we like to do that because it, it confirms, hey, this, this is an iconic moment that you would have seen if you saw the band you know, back in the day. Eddie Van Halen, I got, you know, we got a little Eddie Van Halen Frankenstrat. Obviously, this isn't your work. You ever try working with the original Van Halen era? Like a nice fair warning? Oh, my God. That would um, that'd be great. Well, there was never since Knucklebones was founded in 2003. And there was, you know, there was no such thing as Van Halen management at that time. It was <laughs> yeah. the brothers or maybe Eddie and and Dave and, you know, everybody else. A couple of years afterward, we found it and we've done Randy Rhodes and and Slash and we're getting ready to do Zach Wild. We got the contact info for Eddie's management and we reached out to Ed and 
they got right back to us and were very polite to say this stuff looks great. This is just not something Ed wants to do right now. So every year, about about this time, I would find out who Ed's management was and contact him and usually get the polite, no, thank you. A little over, and this is 10 plus years ago. And I get an email out of the blue from this really weird AOL account, pagemeester at AOL.com. And it says, hey, this is Eddie. Um, I just fired my management. I, I see there's this um, collectibles thing you want to do. I never heard about it. Can you please call me? So I'm thinking this is a really great troll job from one of my friends. So <laughs> there's a phone number in there. I'm like, this is where you want to. All right, I'll play along. And I call the number. And I still have it in my cell phone, Eddie Van Halen's cell phone number. And I call him and it's a voicemail. And I'm like, and they've done a really good job. That actually sounded like Eddie Van Halen. And about 10 minutes later, the phone rings and it's like, hey, th- this is Ed. Um, you know, sorry, my man, you know, tell me about this. My manager didn't show it to me. So I explained what we did and what we wanted to do. And he's like, okay, that actually sounds pretty cool. And this was right before Thanksgiving. And he said, uh, Wolfie's coming in town. And, you know, can we do this after the holidays? And I said, of course. So after the holidays, I, I ring him up and leave a message and leave a second message. And he's got new management. We go to them and it came back. Okay, well, Ed's going to says thanks, but he's going to respectfully decline. So I'm like, ah. Ah. <laughs> so it's almost two years ago now. We get a call from Ed's new attorney. He used to be the head lead counsel at Fender Guitar. So he knew Ed from them, the Charvel deals and stuff there with that company. And he says, I'm representing Ed. Um, we're circling back on this collectibles thing. You know, he'd like to do it. You know, would you still consider it? I'm like, yeah, <laughs> we're, we're, we're still interested. So we started working on it and got to the final approval stage stages and worked with um, a guy named Matt Brock, his uh, longtime yeah. guitar tech and business guy, you know? Yeah. And got to the very end, and um, Ed passed away, sadly, right when we were getting to the end of it. And then now all the business changes because Ed's gone. So it's it's just sitting there. It's ready to go. It's 1977. He's got on the white sparkly shirt, the maroon pants, the white shoes. The white Frankenstrat, yeah. the big rig behind yeah. him, the speaker bomb. So it's like if you saw the first tour that they went out with on with Sabbath. Yeah. The first US tour. Mm-hmm. It it would have been like you were there for that. He's on one knee, mouth open, tapping. You have prototypes of this, Tony? Finished. It's in the vault. I it, you know, we had it here and I got it every time I would look at it, I would get a little bit sad. So we we've put it in the vault. So it, hopefully at some point we'll be able to release it to you, but it's done. It's, it's done. And it's, I wonder if Wolfie knows about that story that I'm sure, I'm sure he does. I'm, I'm sure he does. Man. Great. But I, I, you know, the business surrounding it, my guess is, you know, it, it would, it would be up to him probably, but. Yeah. Tony, we, you know, one of the things we, we passed on earlier, we don't want to skip it is, like the origins of knuckle bones, like 
were you a creative kid? I know you said you it was in your blood when the stage lights go down, but were you like a, a Lego kid or somebody that liked to build crap and I mean, how did I you tie a, it together? And a, the Knuckle Bones name, where did the Knuckle Bones name come from? So Knuckle Bones name is, it, it, I wanted, you know, it's bone crunching metal. Let's not, no, Knuckle Bones was the nickname of this little, we're not even sure it was it a bear or a dog. It was this little odd, pitiful little stuffed animal that had like, you know, its head was hanging on by a string and his arm was off. He had one <laughs> eye, but it was like so fragile. My grandmother would give it to me when it was bedtime and it would be like, oh, you have to be careful. Oh, poor knuckle bones. Don't hurt knuckle bones. And that was the get me to be not be a, you know, psycho five-year-old. <laughs> so no, knuckle bones, my, my grandmother made that. <laughs> That's actually an awesome story. <laughs> not bone crushing metal. <laughs> it's too late. That ship sailed. You're sitting side stage for Frank Marino as a six-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome. No, yeah. That- that's yeah. That's where the, that's where that comes from. He's still around. He's he's still in the corner of the studio there. We still have him. What what about bands like Rush? Um, we we did a Neil Peart um, in two thousand seven, and we did pre orders on Getting Alex, and the interest just wasn't as strong as we had hoped at that point. You know, we're a business, wow. so if. If the pre-orders aren't strong enough, sometimes we just will shelf something. So we'll get we'll we'll come back to it at some point. Because obviously I'm a huge progressive rock and rush fan. Love DLP, love Jess, love loved Rush. You see that announcement about that ELP tour this summer? No what? Yeah, I just saw it yesterday. I think I got uh, one of our publicists sent it. Uh it's a bogus tour. It's like the uh they take live footage from the old days and they sync it up and they have uh Carl Palmer's band plays with them. And then they sync it up to the music, you know, not my kind of thing. I mean, if you, you know, good for you, if you like that, not my thing. I'm such a huge ELP fan. It, you know, if it comes through the Bay area here, uh, I'll go. Cause I just, I love ELP getting to meet and work with uh, Keith Emerson is, is a, is a highlight for, for me. Uh, here um you know we did the whole the whole rig that he had at cal jam you know that was like 15 feet tall Mm -hmm. and everything and you know that was a case where keith didn't have merchandising management he did everything himself so i worked right with him and we'd meet at the at his favorite place in santa monica and have a spritzer and i'd go over the work in progress with him it was it was amazing he's such a great guy and he took me to the practice studio so and pulled out the rig it wasn't set up so it was all in pieces so i got to see all of that all that stuff from from cal jam and and he he hit me to the only the first layer that had thing like three or four layers with all the patch cords and everything and then the little monitor at the top the only thing that worked was the bottom move everything else was just just for show I'm like, I kind of wish you didn't tell me that. Yeah. <laughs> Unlike those Grateful Dead walls of sound. Remember when the dead used yeah. to tour with that? Was that real or fake? Probably not. But I mean, Kiss would tell you in the day when they went out, you know, you know, a working Marshall cabinet's expensive. And they would, 
they'd have their back line and then they'd have like two more rows of it and there was nothing in it. It was just a cabinet and they'd have to instruct the light guys to do not shoot the back of the stage because it would shoot right through it. And you could see that it was, there was nothing in there. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly what the imagery that makes knuckle bones just great because we are relying on the imagery of yesteryear of how it used to be, how we used to get an album and stare at it and look at it and associate it. Now you got a thumbnail. And how disheartening is that? So the advent of digital music, you can say the, the, you know, there's a positive and negative for that. But the, the absolute negative is just what you hit on there. You know, album art is sometimes how we discovered bands and it was oh. the most revered thing and you didn't have MTV yet and you'd get a new record. What was better than getting a new record and dropping the needle on that sucker and putting on the headphones and then just going over and looking for the hidden message and whatever you could see and you would stare at it <laughs> for hours on end looking for the, the thing that you missed or whatever. But it was something you did you generally didn't have, you know, I didn't have a lot of information, you know, ELP brain salad surgery. I bought because of the Giger painting. Yeah. I bought the first kiss record because of the makeup on the album covers. Iron Maiden, the imagery, a bunch of records like that. Yeah. Maiden was a, a friend had that one. So I didn't actually go to the record store and see Eddie, but there was plenty of that, but, so yeah, losing album art, that was, I mean, that's a big bummer. And the whole marriage of visuals with, you know, what the stage production and what artists look like, how they dressed, what the album art was. And then we had what, maybe three magazines that we gave a shit about. Circus, Cream, Cream Hip, Parade. Hip Parade. That was it. Rolling Stone. Uh, no. I was too no. I was too damn dumb to read Rolling Stone. And 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 then yeah. Kerrang came around from uh England. Kerrang later, yeah, yeah. And they're they're still at it. They do a great they do a great job. But that was hard to read. The American mags, they were dummied down. And then you find out later they're like ghostwriters <laughs> and you know <laughs> you know The dumber the better. Keep it simple for me. I wanted cool <laughs> pictures. I wanted to know, hey, what's band up to? And I didn't want my my views on life manipulated. <laughs> this is a fun little story. A couple of weeks ago, we were down at rock and pod in Nashville and we interviewed uh metal Dave Glessner. He's um talk louder podcast, but he wrote for uh metal edge back in the day with Jerry Miller and Paul Gargano, you know, that crew. And yeah. Oh my God, you know, Tony, we spent a half hour just geeking out. That's, that's the fun thing. And, you know, it, it's, we've still got it. it. It's more, it's as important, if not more important than ever. And we've got 50 years of it. That's never going to change. But people will come up to it and say, well, you know, Knuckle Bones has a limited lifespan. And I'm like, well, other, other than, you know, do you have some medical information on myself? What do you mean? <laughs> okay. Of course, it does have a limited lifespan. We're all going to die at some point. But there, what the point they're trying to make is there's not, some points there's not going to be rock stars, and I just, I just laugh. I'm like, no, the the difference is the era we're talking about. It was heavily curated, right? There was only a few records that could go on the record stand, 
wasn't a ton of you weren't learning about hard rock and metal in particular on the radio very much so you had those magazines and word of mouth and, and the record store you know now there's more amazing musicianship and rock stardom than ever but you get hit with this goddamn fire hose there you know with the digital streams and everything there's so much of it how do i find that that jewel like i did when i went into you know sam goody or tower records and just started flipping yep. through the bins and went whoa you know I, I had dozens of choices hundreds versus yep. millions millions coming at me all the time so it's just it's just harder to find and you know kids today just have so much to choose from it, it just stands the reason that you know to create the reverence for it is is harder doesn't mean that it won't exist of course it will that's yep. that's 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 dumb to say that that's that that's the old you know rock and roll is dead oh man you missed it <laughs> Rock and roll is dead. No, rock and roll, rock and rock and roll music is doing just fine. Hey, Tony, we want to go into uh, the visual part of uh, the show. So we're trying to do something different than uh, maybe the other guys out there. So as you saw, I've uh, created a little presentation. Mm -hmm. So John and I geeked out yesterday <laughs> and we spent an hour going through your website and we were like, oh, that fucking one's killer. Let's put that on a slide. And so is that one. And so we're going to put a little PowerPoint up. And I want you to talk about some of these images, right? What they mean to you and that kind of stuff. But before we get to that. You already shocked me with the other ones that I hadn't seen in, in years. <laughs> so, well, well, we'll 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 pull some more up here. But uh, I had a question. Here's like a weird one. Did an artist ever approach you like versus you going to them? Did you ever have a band? You know, ring you and say, "Man, I'd like to work with you." And you're like, "Wait, wait, what?" That that I mean, today that's how most of it happens. We really don't do any outbound licensing anymore. We've been at it long enough, and we're unique enough. If someone's interested in the the high end category, we we get a lot of inbound things now. Mm -hmm. Now, twenty years twenty years ago, that was the complete opposite. Any bands like maybe on the horizon that you'd be like. Oh, here's something you could throw us a nugget. Maybe it's not even in a prototype, but maybe just in your ideation stage. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I can I can share a few things. So, uh, I mean, things that are might be coming or that are coming yeah. we haven't talked about. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, well, here's a good one right here. So, we um, color variants and you know variant products are very popular in toys and collectibles. We haven't done a ton of it, but Randy Rhodes, this is our third Randy Rhodes statue we did, the company was founded. So this right here, we're going to do two color variants on it. Um, the, the Rhodes estate just approved them. So that outfit there, that's from uh, Blizzard of Oz era. And he, uh, we're going to do the brown version of that leather suit. And there'll be a really small run of polka dot V and a really mm -hmm. small run of the White Jackson guitar with a con the Concord, he called it. So that's that's coming, and those are going into production right right now. Uh, Chris Cornell launches tomorrow. Uh, Chris Cornell Soundgarden mm -hmm. is, is coming. Um, what else can I talk about? Uh, a new Slayer set is coming. That's, that's one of the 
that's been sold out for a while. Our original Slayer set. That's one that fans have been beating us up to say, when can we have a new Slayer set? And when, who, when people come, who's into who's into Slayer? Is it Bastoff and Gary Holt, or is it original? It it it'll be um, Hanneman and uh, Tom Araya and Kerry uh, King. No Lombardo. We, we asked the band who is Slayer, and that those are the names they gave us. That's they didn't did ask me. <laughs> tell you who <laughs> Slayer so. is. We asked the band who is Slayer, and they tell us. Ah, uh, Jesus. That's just. And I mean, that's the the one of the aspects of doing thing officially licensed. You can only do what what they will approve. So new Slayer sets. Uh, New Slayer sets coming. Um, Kiss Destroyer will come later this year. Mm. Uh, so we started with Love Gun with Kiss and did uh, Alive and Hotter Than Hell and Dynasty. So arguably the most popular era is coming. And those are sculpting's really far along, either finished or really far along on all of those. Uh yeah, there's the dynasty set. Um, and then we're gonna do something that's kind of kind of fun. Um, have you seen the the parody photo of Bruce Lee behind the uh, the turntables? I have not. No, so I don't know that one. You guys, you guys got the internet up there. Do a search, Bruce Lee DJ Dragon. You got that, Walt? Yep. And you will see a black and white photo. It's a Someone's taking a picture of, you know, Bruce doing some of his, some of his Jeet Kune Do stuff. And it, it just, the, the pose he's in, it looks like he's spinning <laughs> turntables. <laughs> so we've done, it's called DJ Dragon. So it's still music. We're, 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 we're stretching things a little bit, but it's still going to be, you know, a guy involved in music. In this case, it's going to be Bruce Lee. That. Uh, I think it, it's it's in one of the um, Avengers movies. Tony Stark is wearing the shirt when they're in the labs talking about how they're going to combat evil. So it's Tony Tony Stark is wearing the shirt in the movie, and that uh, it blew up. Listeners, uh, listeners, uh, we have a screen up here, and he's uh, he's referring to the. Um, the uh the parody photo yeah. dj dragon what looking at this then, uh this kiss dynasty that it wasn't a great musical era but they look great there those are some awesome looking figurines with the color the, the band well and the thing is that the band had been all black and silver to that point right that's the first time they started doing color and each band member got their own signature color um this is not the favorite uh, era of the band at this point. The, the guys were told don't particularly like these <laughs> costumes as much. They're amazing looking, but um, so Destroy's coming. We just signed a new ghost license, so there'll be more stuff coming from Papa and all the nameless yep. nameless schools. Um, this pan- I think that this Pantera is interesting. It's um uh, Phil with the long hair era. That was around the end of the band, the first time around, I think, right? Yeah, reinventing the steel. So this is yeah. 
this is, you know, I think that's one of the last shows they closed the big festival. So that's where that everything they're wearing in there. I, I, I think that's Oz. I think that was Ozfest, if memory serves. They were a headliner uh, in Ozfest. So yeah, Phil Phil's got the he's the the Cajun swamp man there with the big beard and the long that, the long hair. That was one of the talking points during pre-production. Walt and I were talking about was how do you decide what to do? I mean, some are obvious, but. Like, does you and your staff have a sit down and, you know, majority wins on what you're going to do? Uh, what era? What, 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 how do you decide that? I mean, it, it's a combination of, of things. It, it's, first of all, it, it needs to, we have a saying, does the, is the final statue going to have a monster movie quality? And it doesn't mean monsters of rock. It's just, as a piece of statuary, you know, if you were to come in to your your man cave or where you've got your things displayed and somebody sees it across the room, does it stop them and have them say, holy shit, what is that? Right. And, you know, not every amazing rock star in the world is going to make a great collectible statue. So we look for, you know, a monster movie uh, element to it, you know either from costuming or a pose or instrument or you know, something. Um, and I mean, you look at Phil line, you got Phil line out of thin Lizzie up there. Yeah. The monster movie element there of him is just that, you know, that classic bass with the, the mirrored pick guard and, you know, the, the black jacket with the sleeves rolled up and the boots. And I mean, that's just monster movie. <laughs> yeah. so we look for that is it going to make a great piece of statuary that's that's the best thing to ask yourself will it be interesting to look at uh if you didn't know anything about the band that's kind of that's one of the places we'll we'll start um and then you know in a lot of cases it's something that we all know well and grew up with so there are some no no brainers yeah um like I love, I love this Billy Gibbons one because, you know, it's just the fuzzy guitar and he's got the hat. It's some. I drew my eye to that one. I'm like, that's fucking killer. This year, one. forty years since um, Eliminator, Eliminator, and fifty years since the Guaya. This year, sometimes yeah. you need the non-obvious to make it pop to give it that, you know. Like the, like the, the scorpions. When do you ever see Matthias Jabs with a conductor hat on and looks like the Captain Obvious jacket on? Yeah, what I don't know what era this was. This was late eighties, maybe. Yeah, that's when they closed that show in Russia. Oh, the Moscow Peace Festival. Yeah, we were just talking to Bob Gruen about that. Oh, a few Gork, ago. Gorky yeah. Park. It's hit the Gorky Park. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So Matthias is wearing that, and it, it's it's a parody of. You know, one of the 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 Russian yeah. police forces. Matthias, Matthias uh, we we sent him the statues. He did a nice review from us from his record shop in uh, uh, guitar shop in Munich. <laughs> it was wild. It was wild seeing Matthias actually just you know with the cell phone camera pull it out. Here's me. Here's Rudolph. Mouth open, of course. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> it was funny. Any reason why no Francis Buckles? Or again, that's wow. we asked the band. <laughs> He's not in the band. <laughs> what? What? Who are the Scorpions? In this yeah, well, it's Scorpions now and then. Yeah, I get you. Yeah, I mean that that will happen, and then you know sometimes just with the bands just having a certain lineup, we will get precluded sometimes if a band member is is no longer alive and there's a state involved. So when we had our who license, it was only Pete and Roger. Um, the estates stuck their hand up and said, we're not comfortable with this. So we didn't get Mooney or John Entwistle. That that's something that, that was a shame because we had a really great design for Mooney where he's wrecked the drum kit and jumping over the, the kick drum in, in a, in a crazed Mooney face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's him. That's him. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, we've got some amazing stuff in the archive that was ready, and you know, for the officially licensed reasons, just never, never made it out. But you know, never say never. If you if you just said that I could I could be able to do the Guns and Roses set, you know, that we did, and have it be officially licensed with everybody on the same page. You know, 10 years ago, I would have said, you know, probably not going to happen. Well, you could have Tobias from Ghost. He'll keep you in business for the next 20 years with all the changes in his uh, strategy. That that stuff is just, I mean, the whole thing is so amazing. The fact, his, you know, his musicianship to go and just basically make a record and then come out and say, you know, hire the band to play it. And the mythos that he's created behind Papa. It's just so badass and so what I was looking for in the seventies, you know, that's the kind of stuff that you would yeah. you would gravitate to. And you, you had Alice and Kiss and you know, some others, but not a ton of it. You know, there's there's a lot of that stuff now that's really cool. I mean, Maria Brinkin in this moment, you know, that yeah, that stuff, the the production value of that show when it opens, I mean that's Fucking heavy metal Broadway right there, man. It's bad. And and it's funny. I, I saw her once, you know, talented singer, but she doesn't move. She just stands in one spot with dress and sexy, bloody. She has fans blowing all over the place, her hair, her skirt, fishnet stockings. And then she's got these dancers around her and she just sings, doesn't move. Amazing. <laughs> it's it's awesome. <laughs> right? Yeah. So that That's something that we might we might do here for too long. So these were some that we saw uh, that you probably, the kiss ones, right? These are sold out. These are hall of famers, right? These had to be like early stage and totally killer ones, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, and look at the, the hotter than hell, you know, Gene with that skull and crossbones, Mm -hmm. you know, shirt that he only wore that for a little bit, you know, before the costume, changes yeah that's that that's that mike douglas era yeah so (laughs) with the with the what was her name dodie whatever had busted his balls about being a oh yeah yeah a nice nice kid nice kid from Queens, which was yeah that's exactly who they are (laughs) hey tony i had a, a question like uh i know i'm all over the place here but like in the industry I work in it, we have like a stage gating process, right? Where you go from 
ideation to prototyping to validation to commercialization like is it you or, is it, or do you have like a team of five six ten twenty fifty guys like where how's it all done and you know i'm the the lead designer so it starts here but then we have you know amazing other amazing designers and sculptors that will be uh involved and then we've got the production teams overseas all of our stuff for 20 years has been made in southern china just like hasbro and mattel and everybody in between that's where the, the skilled artisans are you know sit, sit down and make this stuff by hand we just don't have enough of that here in the states right now um uh and a production team for a you know a single product will be anywhere from 20 to 30 people they won't mm -hmm. stay on the project the whole time you know, the, the mold make the statues done. We get the original parts cast. The mold makers make the production molds and they hand off to the, the finishing team and they take the rough statue out and clean it, get it ready for priming and painting. And then the paint team will be split up to where there's, you know, primary color painters, you know, down to, you know, it's typically one or two painters that will do a portrait if it's a realistic hmm. thing, like witch, Witchy Poo there, Black Sabbath yeah. Witch. There is typically an artist sitting down and painting that that portrait. Um, but yeah, 20 to 30 people will work on a production at any given time. And then it, and we got to get it in a package safely and get it to fans around the world. So that we got to do import export. Everything comes here to the U.S. first, and then goes out to the rest of the world. Our warehouse is in uh, in the east. We just moved it from the west to the east into Memphis. That's where everything comes from. Hey, Tony, this Pink Floyd one in the corner that that draw our eye the uh, the dark side of the moon. Like, what what is that? Is that like a a, a roving visual? That. Well, that's what that is, is, you know, from 70, early 75. So 50 years of Dark Side of the Moon this year. So they released Dark Side of the Moon. Uh, and, they, they start playing it in 74, I believe, and then release it and then start touring it in 75. And for the they uh, had Ian Ames make those uh, animated films that coincide with the whole track. Mm hmm. And they built the circular screen that you see there with the lights around it. And the, he's the nickname Floyd has for him is Mr. Screen. So from that time forward, Pink Floyd has always had that, you know, in the center of the stage. Yeah. So that's a, uh, that's a resin statue. The lights don't work. That's just a visual representation of what you would see at a moment on the stage. But that particular, uh, series is what we call on tour so we have rock icons which is the realistic you know moments of you know live performance pieces and then we have what's called 3d vinyl which is anything that's inspired by album art uh which are the things on the right there so you can see blackout and then we have on tour which is anything that's a tour piece so if you want to flip the camera around to me, I've actually got blackout right here. I'll flip it around for you so you can get a better sense of what it is. So oh my God. anything that was, 
fired wow. So this this came about because we've been in business for you know maybe a decade, and um, we would hear from fans and that you know this stuff's amazing. It's really cool. I'm a huge fan of this band, but I would never buy any of the stuff. We're like, well, wait a minute. I would, I had you were with, I was with you right up until the end where you said you're not going to you love everything you're not going to buy it. Why not? And they said I'm just not into the statue category. I never bought a bobblehead or an action figure or a statue. I've never bought anything like that, and I never will. So we thought we need to figure out something for that fan. So we just started to kick it around and say, okay, what is what will every fan do? Every fan loved album art. We talked about you know mm-hmm. the reverence we had for it, and everybody wears a T-shirt with the album on it. So. We thought, why don't we make statuary based on the album? And in this case, this is a 12 by 12 that you can actually wall mount. So if you're the, if you're not a person that's into that kind of thing, you tip, you might not have even a place to display it. So we gave it a, you know, gave it a chance to put it on the wall uh, like you would a gold record or anything. And that got it out of the way. So that was the idea for, uh, for 3D vinyl. Um. So those are the three product lines we've got now. And the, each one is just trying to give underserved music fans something that somebody else might not think about or wouldn't bother to produce. You know, we don't we don't re-release anything. We never make more than 3,000 of anything we've ever done. And in Blackout's case there, that was released in 1982. So the edition numbers, 1982 on that smaller hmm. but for 20 years we we will say hey what do you want to see and fans will say hey i want the jimmy page uh, stormtrooper from 2009 or 8 and we have to say you know we might do another stormtrooper design but 20 years we've never re-released anything and we won't because we we appreciate the collectors that have been there and and know the value of the things that we've created that they have and we don't want to sully that by re-releasing something that's not cool uh, so we won't do it so as a result on the secondary market our things can be very very expensive but we don't we don't participate in that the fans decide what the value of something is in that case we don't man it's just awesome tony all this stuff um where could people what's the best way of finding it what's your socials knucklebones.com and typically all the socials if you just type in knuckle like your hand b-o-n-z all one word you'll find us and listeners we do have once this uh episode airs for two weeks we we have a 10 percent off code um 5pck2023 and it will be on the show notes and we'll share it on all our platforms uh well i'll let you let you yeah, I guess the last uh, the last slide, Tony was on your beverage series, like what I'm sharing here. Oh, yeah. So you're expanding your horizons there. I love yeah. the I love the Cliff Burton Cliffamol uh, IPA. Cliffamol IPA that that was a one day sellout. <laughs> so um, we we thought, okay, here's we we like but we like music, we like beer. Why don't we try to do some of the same things you know that we do around yeah. the collectible series and beer? 
and we've made some really cool beers and fans really enjoy them. The, the unfortunate thing is the, uh, the beer and liquor laws that were written by the, uh, the mob attorneys and uh, advocates after the uh, fall of uh, prohibition, the things that we can do direct consumer and all the cool stuff and marketing and interesting things. Most of the time we can't do any of it because of just that it's such a controlled thing. We, we can't sell direct to consumer. We have to go through a distributor. We can't sell directly to a store. We have to go through a distributor. It's, it's so a lot of what we hope for that is prohibited just by the way the, the laws are today. Now that, yeah, Supposedly, Amazon is going to get into the business, and <laughs> those guys—they will—they uh, might change something. It'll take somebody of that size, but it's been a little frustrating that you know we we can't easily get the product to people around the world like we do the collectibles, just because it's such a controlled, yeah, controlled thing. Yeah. Still pretty cool though. It just yeah, lends itself to the whole very portfolio. Cool. The product side's great. Just the the two yeah. freaking rules. Well, yeah. I, I would like to know how many people actually open it up and drink it. Isn't that a collectible thing? Go on eBay and look at go look at the Sabbath can. You know, the you could have bought a when it went out a you know a, a four pack for twenty either side of twenty dollars. A single can because it's sold out now will be like thirty or forty dollars. I'm, I'm like, what? we're doing it all wrong. We should have <laughs> just made the beer, poured it out, and <laughs> that would have been a better business. Yeah. <laughs> but you no, know, the collectible aspect is that's absolutely there. So all the assumptions we made as far as what fans might like, we were right on. It's just the the business surrounding it is 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 so locked down it makes it tough no what i was, there was what i was long- getting at was don't even put beer in it you know if people aren't really yeah. opening it up and drinking it you know i i got a four pack of this gene simmons soda i've never tried it it's just you know it's sit up it's uh, being- no i I'd, I'd say there's there's you know we don't have any data to say it but we we know there are people that that, that the person that does that is the same person that buys two of everything that we do you know one one to show one one to go is the saying but hardcore super fan collectors something limited like what we do we'll buy two of them and they'll display one and then they'll put one in their archive and may decide to sell it on the secondary you know later well that goes back to the beginning of the interview when we were talking about circus and hip raider i used to buy two of them one to yeah. one to cut up yeah. and put in my locker, and I'm put on the wall, yeah. and one went in a box somewhere, and you put and you still got. I, yeah. Oh my god, I do. I still I don't have them all, but so. But funny, uh, funny note to end it on the uh, the blackout uh, for me personally. I'll never forget it. It was the day after Donald Trump got uh, won the nomination for president a few years ago. I slammed my car door against my head, rushing. And I had blood coming out of my eye. My wife is like, you got to go to the hospital. I fought it. I finally went with my son. And sure enough, what do they do? They they stitch me up above the eye and they put me the bandage around my head just like that. <laughs> so what did I do? I came home 
And I, I told my son, I said, get your phone out. And I put two forks in my eyes and I closed my eyes. <laughs> and I have a picture of that somewhere. I got to dig it out and find it. I made a bookmarker out of it. The only thing missing is the mustache, but it looks exactly like it. Send that to us. We'll put it up on our socials next to Black. <laughs> <laughs> I will. I'll find it. I have it somewhere. Metal wall. Living it. Living the dream. Yes. Living, living the dream with two less forks in his uh, cutlery drawer. <laughs> That's awesome. All right. Well, Tony, hey, thanks, man. Uh, we go on all day, but uh, we got stuff to do as you do as well. So thank you. We appreciate thanks, it. Thanks, fellas. Yeah, it was great. Thank nice you. Sharing some stories. Okay. Take care, man. It was great. Nice to talk to you, Tony. See you again. Cheers. Metal for Life. Thank you for listening to Metal Mayhem ROC. Check out our website at MetalMayhemROC.com for information on podcasts, archives, links to all our live radio shows, and all sorts of info. Please like, follow, and share with everyone, even your non-metal friends. And always remember to keep it heavy. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.